The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. Could it be another insane day on the street of dreams? Futures are higher across the board in what has been one of the wildest weeks ever. The Fed meeting today. Nobody expects a rate hike now, but will they all but scream one's going to happen in March? Former Fed President Dennis Lockhart is here. Microsoft to the rescue. Shares are higher after earnings. We speak with one top-ranked analyst on where it goes from here. Plus, could it be the most important stock in the market? No, not Apple. We're talking Tesla as it prepares to open its own books. Later, ARK Invest's Kathy Wood doubling down on her investing thesis. Why she says, quote, innovation is on sale. It's all happening on this Wednesday, January 26th. And this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I'm Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us. Here's how the money, your money, and the markets are starting their morning in futures. A little bit of good news. They are notably higher across the board. In fact, NASDAQ futures are up pretty good, triple digits, more than 1%. But obviously, now is my duty to give you a word of caution. Given what has gone on in the last couple of days, anything can happen during the session The Dow doing another 700-point swing yesterday, and yes, the major averages did end lower, but they ended well off their lows of the session. The Dow is now down for the seventh time in eight days, all of this happening ahead of today's Fed meeting as well. So let's get a check on the bond market. Ten-year yields actually kind of holding steady at 1.78%. The shorter term, though, two years, those yields have been on the move higher as well. And that rate decision happening at 2 p.m. Eastern time today, so tune in to power lunch. All right, so with all the ups and the downs so far this year, well, way more downs than ups, it may be easy to lose track of where exactly we stand with stocks and sectors. So let us fix that for you and show you the numbers, starting with the biggest pain in the market. Year-to-date, the worst S&P sectors, information and technology and consumer discretionary, pretty much neck and neck, bringing up the rear, down about 13%. Folks, that's just This year, it's not even the end of January yet, communications down nearly 11%. But on the other side, it really is all about oil and gas this year. The top S&P 500 sectors, well, there's just one that's up. Energy, it's up 17.5%. Financials are the second best, and they're down 1.5%. Staples down 3%. And how about this super stat from our friends at Bespoke Investment Group with energy's big run higher? and the S&P 500's drop, the energy sector is now outperforming the overall market by 28% in just 15 days of trading. Wow. And this could perhaps be your uh, stat of the day again, if you will. Nine of the 10 S&P 500 stocks this year are oil and gas stocks. The only other one is Activision, and it's getting bought. Halliburton's gain of 33%, topping the S&P 500 in 2022. And by the way, Oil itself is higher again right now, 86 a barrel here, nearing 90 
a barrel in Europe. Well, speaking of Europe, let's get a check on how things are shaping up overseas. Rosanna Lockwood is in our London newsroom with the early European trade and some top headlines. Rosanna, good morning. Good morning, Brian. Yeah, Europe actually really shrugging off a pretty negative lead from Asia. You're seeing a lot of green across the board this morning. All the major indexes have been flirting with the 2% line. Uh, some have even crossed that. I want to point out to you the DAX in Germany. It's been an outperformer for the session. It's the SMI in Switzerland that's been just struggling to get up above a percent. But I think you'll agree, given that we're waiting for the Fed announcement later, given that geopolitical tensions continue to rise between Russia and Ukraine, this is a pretty broad sentiment sweep across the board. And we were asking ourselves what gives well we want to break it down to you european travel and leisure stocks is really a big play in this something to keep an eye on today look at this for example lufthansa has been up on the session up almost seven percent at one point back down at about six percent or so we're looking at another couple of airlines doing particularly well today we were looking at why this is there doesn't seem to be one positive uh, specific story correlating with this other than just an easing of travel restrictions within europe you've got borders slowly opening up, confidence coming back up, vaccines on tap. For example, just in the last 10 minutes or so, we've had Austria announcing it's ending its lockdown for the unvaccinated. But do keep an eye on these travel stocks today in Europe. That's a quick snapshot of the markets here. Back to you, Brian. Big move there by Austria. We'll see where that goes. Rosanna Lockwood, thank you very much. All right, well, Rosanna talked about the Fed, so let us do the same and talk more about the Federal Reserve and its meeting today. And we are honored to be joined by Dennis Lockhart, the former Atlanta Fed president, uh, Dennis, it's great to have you on. I know it's early. We certainly appreciate it. It is a huge day. Uh, what do you want to hear the Fed say today? What do you think they will do today? I don't think they will do much today. I think <clears throat> the base case is that this is not a decision meeting. This is a meeting which they will do planning and, and discussion, <clears throat> particularly of balance sheet questions and so forth. But <clears throat> Coming out of this meeting in the press conference, I would expect Jay Powell to signal, and he probably would do that with the uh, approval of the committee, that March is the liftoff date and that they're likely, all things considered, likely to move uh, in March. Uh, so today I don't expect a lot. And the statement that comes out of the meeting, uh, it, when it's not a decision meeting, the tendency is to change the statement as little as as possible. So I think the statement will simply be updated for the economy. Um, and then Powell will carry the message in the press conference. Yeah. I covered Fed meetings, Dennis, for about 10 years, and I always had a dictionary or a thesaurus next to me because he had to parse the language that closely. One word couldn't signal a change. What They're not going to say, hey, we're going to raise rates in March. I mean, they could. I doubt it. What kind of language should the market be paying attention to or for? Well, I, I, th <clears throat> I, I think uh, the language around the conditions that would give rise to a, a rate increase and the rate increase uh, that has been talked about recently by Fed officials is really uh, part of a normalization process. I've, I've noticed that they've used the word normalization more and more. And, and that suggests that the economic conditions now are such that they justify uh, the beginning of normalization. And it's not entirely about inflation and about attack on uh, price pressures. So I'd look for the word normalization 
and may begin uh, uh, shortly or uh, uh, in, in, in due course, something like that, that gives you an indication mm-hmm. that they're thinking about March. I know we love talking about rates, Fed funds rate, and we should, but there's the other T, and that is the tapering, not just the tightening. And that is the one that many in the market appear the most concerned about, Dennis, that reduction of its balance sheet, how it can do it sort of elegantly enough to not rattle the markets, or maybe the markets are being rattled right now. Maybe what we're seeing is because of the fear that the Fed is going to, for lack of a better term, mess it up. Do you think they've got what it takes to do this delicate deleveraging dance, if you will, correctly? Well, first of all, I I think there are a few months yet to pass before you will uh, we'll hear exactly what that plan is. I think uh, we'll have another meeting today, probably uh, with more discussion of how to do that. And uh, remember, we the, the Fed has been through it before, so they have a lot of knowledge of how to go about the shrinking of the balance sheet. Uh, the playbook that was used before is not exactly the one that will be used today. The economic circumstances are different, and the and the uh, uh, the balance sheet circumstances are different, but lots of experience. They'll take great care to communicate it very carefully. In all likelihood, <clears throat> they'll try to have a program that goes on autopilot. So it's a it's a set amount <clears throat> of maturities every month that uh, yeah. uh, run off uh, every month. That's how they'll go about doing it. <clears throat> Given the record national debt, trillions higher than it was just before the pandemic began, is there an upper bound where the Fed will let the 10-year get and then do whatever it takes to make sure it doesn't breach that? Can the U.S., with its, with its debt levels, sustain a, a 3% 10-year Treasury note? Well, I think that's a good question because of the effect of higher interest rates on, on uh, the budget. But let me emphasize, and this is from my 10 years of experience, fiscal matters don't enter into the question. They really don't. The, the FOMC is not thinking in terms of what's good for the Treasury or what's good for, for servicing the national debt. They're thinking really almost solely about what is best for the real economy in the United States, for Main Street America, what's the best policy for the economy. And if that involves higher interest rates, in a manner of speaking, the Fed is saying so be it, because that's our view of what the best policy is. Well, it certainly is a delicate dance with some big numbers involved, and that is why we love having your viewpoint on to kick off the show. Dennis, we know it's early, but thank you so much. Dennis Lockhart, formerly of the Atlanta Fed. Have a great day. Appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. Thank you very much, Brian. All right, we are just getting started. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you, Dennis. And we are just getting started on this Wednesday. We come back. President Biden not giving up on the Build Back Better plan. What he plans to do today to try to bring back interest in that nearly $2 trillion infrastructure agenda. Plus... As the president warns of strong sanctions against Russia and Vladimir Putin himself, there's new concern this morning on what Russian retaliation here at home could look like. Even Javers here now with that cyber threat. But first, is the experiment already over? Why the IMF is calling on El Salvador to ditch its dependence on Bitcoin as a national currency. A very busy hour straight ahead. Futures, they are soaring. We are back right after this.
What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back. Well, if your car is running low in the tank, maybe go fill up today because the price of gasoline is only going to get higher going forward. The price of oil is up again this morning, up seven-tenths of a percent, back above 86 a barrel here and nearing 90 a barrel overseas with Brent crude. So expect the price of gasoline already over five bucks in certain parts of California and Hawaii. Maybe going even higher. All right, let's get a check now on some of this morning's other top stories outside of the Fed and these bonkers markets. Bertha Coombs is here now with this. And don't just lead with, you know, with Big Poppy. I don't want to hear about your Red Sox the entire, t- entire time. I know. I know. I love Big One Poppy. Guy. That's One so guy. great. Congrats. I know. Congrats. Yep. Terrific guy. I have a picture with him, actually. Uh, meantime, uh, President Biden will meet in person with the CEOs of 10 major U.S. and global companies today to discuss the potential benefits of his now-stalled Build Back Better Act. Among the attendees, General Motors Chairman and CEO Mary Barra, Salesforce co-CEO Mark Benioff, uh, Ford CEO Jim Farley, Siemens CEO Barbara Humpton, and more. The IMF, meantime, is pushing El Salvador to drop Bitcoin as an official legal tender. Directors stressing the risks associated with the use of Bitcoin on financial stability, integrity and consumer protection. Country became the first in the world to adopt the crypto coin as legal tender back in September alongside the U.S. dollar and has added hundreds of coins to its national balance sheet in recent months. And ARK Invest CEO Kathy Wood is weighing in on the recent sell-off in unprofitable tech stocks, one that's hit her flagship fund's performance hard in recent weeks. Speaking during her company's annual Big Ideas Summit, Wood is urging investors to look beyond the recent volatility. We do believe that innovation is on sale. And, uh, and we do believe that it will be really important for investors to get to move toward the right side of change, given the amount of disruption that we do expect. Wood adding that it is very important for investors to keep a five-year time horizon outlook. Brian Wood's flagship fund is down some 25%. That's just so far this year in the last few weeks. You know, the interesting thing, obviously, Tesla is one of her big bets. 
We're going to watch this afternoon. Tesla has uh, Bitcoin on its balance sheet. That becomes a kind of accounting nightmare because you have to mark it down, mark to market when it's low, but you don't get the same benefit when it's high. It's, it's a very difficult accounting situation. That's a great point. You have a CFO. Maybe they need a CCO, a chief crypto officer or something. Honestly, <laughs> if you're going to hold it, because to your point, I don't know how they do gap accounting. No clue. But that's those are for people a lot smarter and more well paid than I am. Bertha Coombs, not even one mention of Big Poppy or keys. Crying right now. <laughs> Bertha, we'll see in a few minutes. Thank you. All right. Still on deck. More on your money. Futures, they are much higher. The Nasdaq up nearly 2% right now. Plus, a check on this morning's big money movers, including two companies dealing with supply chain bottlenecks in very different ways. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Save big money on everything for your spring projects at Menards. We have all of your garden and landscaping essentials. Master Garden Premium Garden Soil contains a slow-release fertilizer that feeds gardens for up to nine months. It produces better results and is ready to use for all your gardening needs. Save big on Menards' great selection of garden and landscaping products. Compare brands in-store or online at Menards.com. Save big money at All right, welcome back. It is time now for some of your big money movers. Three key stock stories of the day. Number one, Texas Instruments shares are popping after it beat the street. Shares are up about 5%, by the way, right now. More importantly, TI also forecasting strong guidance, saying it will boost capacity. All of it, of course, continued supply, chip challenge, supply chain chip challenges. And TI is going to be focusing more on the auto and industrial sectors. Second stock of the morning is F5. Shares the cloud software firm down dramatically. That after its quarterly report, the company issued disappointing guidance due to, what else, ongoing supply chain problems. See a trend? And third, shares of Navient. They continue to slide. This on the back of disappointing results. Navient is a student loan borrower. You're welcome. My check cleared this month. Navient reporting a loss of $11 million for the quarter as expenses rose. Shares have been under pressure this month with the company announcing it will cancel the debt of 66,000 borrowers, totaling $1.7 billion. All right, now to a developing story this morning and one that we are watching very closely. President Biden says he would consider personally sanctioning Vladimir Putin if Russia moves in on Ukraine. Adding if Putin were to move in with all of his forces, it would, quote, change the world. This coming as leaders from France, Russia, Ukraine and Germany meet in Paris today to discuss the ongoing tensions. Eamon Javers joining us now. And Eamon, President Biden not ruling out tough sanctions on Russia and Putin himself. What exactly does a personal sanction look like and what are also the risks of Putin or some of his lackeys retaliating here at home? 
Yeah, what's interesting, Brian, is in previous US rounds of U.S. sanctions, and there have been a lot of them, we haven't seen a personal targeting of Vladimir Putin. That is going after his own assets, his own wealth, his own ability to make transactions around the world. That's been sort of a bridge too far in sanctions. Now, though, that clearly is under consideration. And the entire cybersecurity community uh, here in the United States is trying to get its arms around what all of this means necessarily uh, in terms of cybersecurity for the United States. We saw the Department of Homeland Security issuing an alert earlier this week to infrastructure security providers saying, uh, just reminding them of the robust capabilities that the Russians have. Uh, The expectation here is that in an initial stage of an invasion, the Russians would try to keep their cybersecurity efforts contained around Ukraine and not have a spillover effect to the rest of the world, including the United States. But that changes if the United States gets in and responds with those sanctions. The whole calculus then begins to change for the Russians. I talked to General Keith Alexander, who is the former head of the NSA yesterday, about what he sees as a possibility here. And he says the one thing he's worried about is if the Russians decide they need to try to push U.S. public opinion, cyber strikes could be a way to do that. Here's what he said. You could complicate the communications between the gas and oil. You could create a whole series, a campaign, if you will, in cyber of all the things that could happen that would make this really hard for our country. And the American people would say, it's not worth it. That's what his goal would be, is to make our government and our people and the people in Europe say it's not worth it. Lose that will to resist. So, Brian, in that scenario, the cyber attacks would have a political goal to try to push a political conclusion here in the United States. No guarantee that that would happen. But General Keith Alexander says the concern is something like multiple uh, colonial pipeline attacks all simultaneously really shutting down key parts of the U.S. economy and really convincing the American public that, you know what, resisting the Russians here is not in the cards, Brian. Back over to you. You literally just read my mind, Eamon. I mean, what we learned is that some bad actors, maybe a couple of guys with some computers, likely in the Russian Federation, were able to shut down some of our critical gasoline supplies pretty easily. So what really is the risk to an escalation here with that in mind? And also, by the way, talk to us about Putin. I know a lot of smart people who would tell you, whisper, that it's not Elon Musk, that Vladimir Putin is probably the richest man in the world with assets everywhere. Do we know anything about exactly what he's got, aside from a lot? Uh, I think U.S. intelligence knows a lot about what he's got and that it is a lot, right? Uh, I think they have the ability to track a lot of those assets around the world, and they have avoided, you know, sort of poking the bear, so to speak, by not going after his assets personally in the past. We'll see whether they change their calculation if the Russians make a move here on Ukraine. But you talk about escalation, Brian, and that's been the concern, uh, you know, going back to the, the early days of the Cold War and the nuclear standoff. You know, if this happens, then that happens, then that happens. And you go up this escalation chain uh, to what could be a devastating conflict between the two countries. Now we're talking about cyber being a part of that chain of escalation here. If the Russians respond with a cyber attack to our sanctions, do we then have to respond in a cyber way to their steps? Do we get sucked into a Russia versus Ukraine conflict? Uh, You know, as of right now, it's not expected that there would be any American troops involved in any conflict there because that's not a key priority of the United States. Does that change, though, if you're talking about the entire gas sector or huge infrastructure problems in the United States? 
That's the concern on people's mind right now. Yeah, very good questions, important topics. Eamon Javers, thank you. Appreciate it, buddy. All right, straight ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. A closer look at the struggling semiconductor sector as Intel and Samsung prepare to report their latest results, plus the two semiconductor stocks that Raymond James' Chris Queso says is a buy right now. And a reminder, gentle nudge. If you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you missed the show, check it out on Apple, Spotify, or many of the other podcasting platforms. We are back after this. Buckle up and get ready. The Fed looking to signal it is ready to raise rates soon. But could they have a surprise up their sleeves today? Saved by software. Stock futures higher, helped by Microsoft with strong earnings and guidance. We dive into the numbers. And the tech earnings just don't stop as Tesla preparing to roll out its results. They can have a big impact on the overall market and your money. It is Wednesday, January 26th. This is Worldwide Exchange. Well, welcome or welcome back, everybody, and good Wednesday morning. Thanks for joining us. I'm Brian Sullivan. All right, here's how the markets and your money are starting their day, and they're looking pretty good. We are seeing futures higher across the board with NASDAQ futures, particularly on the rise. In fact, a triple-digit gain there. So pretty solid look now, but I, I said it before and I'll say it again. A word of caution. Given what we have all seen in just the last two days, anything can happen in these markets. You know that by now. The Dow doing another 700-point swing yesterday. Yeah, we did end on all the major averages lower, but we ended well off session lows once again. So couldn't pull off what we did on the Miracle Monday, but the turnaround Tuesday, or whatever you want to call it, did okay. The Dow not okay this year, down for the seventh time in eight days. All of this happening ahead of today's Federal Reserve meeting. So let's check the bond market. Ten-year yields, they're holding steady, as you might expect, at 178. Shorter-term yields been on the move a little bit lately as well. I know Rick Santelli's hit on that. With the two-year on the move higher. By the way, speaking of two, that rate decision happening at 2 p.m. Eastern time today. All right, let's talk Microsoft earnings. Looking strong last night. Revenue up 20% from a year ago, although down from the previous quarter. Cloud boomed. Revenue and margins outlook there on the rise. Also topping estimates. The stock reversing some earlier losses. It is now higher in the pre-market. Let's bring in Kirk Matern of Evercore Partners. Kirk uh, the initial reaction was down 4 or 5%, uh, and some of the sarcastic ones out there on social media were noting that. The stock turned around. What do you think people saw later that they may have missed on the initial headlines? Yeah, thanks for having me, Brian. So I, I would say in general, people were looking for a little bit more upside on the second quarter revenue, and that really dragged the stock down in the aftermarket to start. I, I think what really changed the, the game, per se, was the guidance for the third quarter, especially around the enterprise business going into next quarter and Azure in particular. To see Azure up sequentially in the third quarter, it was really, uh, it's really remarkable at its size and scale. So that's really the, the change that happened during the course of the conversation with the management team. The outlook sort of gave people confidence that a lot of the things we're seeing in the macro environment right now aren't translating into softer demand from Microsoft's clients. And, and, and that's why the stock's up this morning. We've talked a lot this year about how valuations and multiples have been compressed because as rates rise, multiples tend to come down. You know, people even have formulas for every whatever quarter point. You got to bring it down by 5% or whatever the number may be. Microsoft's forward PE, as I look at it, I know a lot of people have different estimates, Kirk, has come down about five points. Are you, are you happy? Are you comfortable with the forward valuation of Microsoft right now? 
We are. We, we are. Obviously, Microsoft's big enough that the overall market comes down. Microsoft's going to feel some pain from that. But when you think about Microsoft's premium versus the broader market, you are paying a premium for a good reason, which is Microsoft's very durable growth that they have that's based on recurring revenue sources. About 70% of their business comes from the enterprise, which gives them great visibility. You're talking about a fortress like Balance Sheet, a company that can generate roughly $70 billion in free cash flow a year, and really a company that's riding a lot of very strong secular trends that we're in the early days of, uh, the, the digitization of the economy, the shift to the cloud, the importance of data for every company. You know, these are secular trends that are going to persist well beyond uh, whatever decision the Fed makes in the next over the next few months. And, and really, you know, this is why you're paying a premium for Microsoft. It's not. It's it, there's a good reason for the premium, and we think that holds as we you know hopefully come out of this uh, downturn in the next you know month or two. Well, speak, speaking of premiums, Kirk, quickly this nearly seventy billion dollar buyout of Activision Blizzard. What does Microsoft want to be? Well, I think Activision gives Microsoft a whole nother narrative in the consumer space, which has been, you could say, lacking over the last four or five years. A lot of the growth of Microsoft's really come from the strength on the commercial side. Activision gives them a lot. It gives them a big presence in mobile. It gives them, obviously, a much bigger first-party catalog that they can leverage across Game Pass, along, along cloud streaming over time, and really a position in the metaverse you know, whenever that comes to pass, if three, five years. You know, Microsoft has a very unique set of assets already when it comes to the metaverse, when it's, whether it's their cloud infrastructure, whether it's their uh, competencies around security, collaboration. And Activision really just adds a content element uh, and bulks up what they already have. So I, I think it's going to be a very important part of the narrative whenever it closes uh, at some point, probably next year. Kirk McTurr at Evercore, really appreciate your views. A big stock there and a big move, by the way, maybe helping the entire market. Kirk, have a great day. Thank you very much. Thanks, Brian. All right, well, certainly Microsoft is a big deal, but perhaps no stock is as important to the overall market as Tesla, not because it's so big, it is, but it's because so many options and derivative positions like Delta One swaps on the street, et cetera, are linked to Tesla stock. So in many ways, as Tesla goes, so goes a big part of the overall market, the options market too. Shares hit with the rest of the market this year, by the way, Tesla down 13%. Let's bring in Philippe Houchois of Jefferies with what he expects tonight. Uh, uh, Philippe, the stock's back under 1000 bucks. Uh, what are the key numbers and maybe key comments that we can expect or want to hear from Elon Musk and Tesla tonight? Well, I, good morning and thanks for having me. I guess the two numbers to keep in mind for tonight is 15% EBIT margin, 30% gross margin. Those are the numbers that they almost Tesla needs to beat to um, to really please the market, I would say. And I think what's going to be interesting otherwise is is what Tesla says matters to the stock, of course, but also matters to the broader industry. We saw in Q3 that they're getting to a point of growth and profitability that were off the chart in a way, and that makes them a threat to market share for a lot of the incumbents. And I think we need to, um, those results will matter for Tesla shares, of course, but as I said, as much uh, for the rest of the industry. So if you had to say there was one number, you mentioned a couple, but if you had to sort of dive even a little deeper, Philippe, one thing that you want or need to hear for that $1,400 price target that you've got, what is it? Mm-hmm. Well, I think I, I need to hear that, that what we saw in Q3 wasn't a fluke, that we have definitely reached a level of, of velocity in sort of growth and also profitability. If you think about at, at comparable price points, the margin of Tesla was pretty much double the rest of the industry in Q3. 
And the cash generation is also boosted by the fact they run a negative working capital, which with lots of growth gives them an extra cash boost. And I think that's, that's, that's what makes them a threat for, for, for the industry. Um, so we'll hear about products. Um, there's been lots of noise about delays in Cybertruck. It would be negative if confirmed, of course, but it's, I think, well integrated in the share price today. Um, I think what we need to hear a bit more possibly is, of course, what's happening to FSD because it's been sold, the price has been raised, and still it is not really functional. And what happens in terms of a smaller, more affordable Tesla, because that would really bring the fight to Toyota, Volkswagen, Stellantis, rather than initially uh, more of a premium story. Yeah, and by the way, I think it was yesterday, Elon Musk tweeting out something like, driving around Texas in the Cybertruck, it's awesome. So he's, he's trying to soothe concerns over that, Philippe. But, you know, Tesla's not what it used to be. It's a spectacular company. The cars are selling insanely good, but you can't turn on TV or the Internet without seeing an ad for, the, for a competitor um, mm. from Audi or VW with the ID4. Is there a real Tesla competitor or is, is it really in, in auto terms, car terms? its own asset class. No, I mean, I think the, the lots of car makers, Audi, but Ford, etc., are, are launching or are about to launch you know, very strong competitors to the product itself. What is now clear is those products can actually generate the kind of profitability that we see at Tesla, which is definitely out of the norm of the industry. And the Tesla story in autos goes well beyond the cars. So of course, the cars are, in a way, the first unique edge that is going away. Um, but we still have batteries, we have design to manufacture, we have the, the velocity of manufacturing, all those on the direct selling, all those challenges are still putting Tesla well ahead of the industry. But yes, there is now as a consumer, we have a choice that we may not have had a couple of years ago. Philippe Pouchois of Jeffries Philippe, a really interesting stock story tonight with their numbers coming out. I know you got a long day ahead of you. We appreciate you taking some time. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Oh, you're very welcome. Coming up, what the boom in demand for semiconductors might mean for Sam Intel and Samsung and maybe you and your money. But as we head to break, here's a quick hit on some other key headlines happening right now. Speaking of semis, a new survey for the Commerce Department shows that American manufacturers and other companies are still dangerously low on supplies of some of these key components. Survey finding companies are down to less than five days of inventory for some key chips as compared to 40 days pre-pandemic. Well, that was quick. Mark Zuckerberg's crypto ambitions apparently already fizzling out. According to Bloomberg, the digital token, formerly known as Libra, is weighing a sale of its assets in a bid to return capital to investors. And Amazon has reportedly abandoned its campaign of paying employees to share positive messages on social media in a bid to attract new staff. That according to the FT. In the meantime, Barron's and The Information are reporting Amazon has also suspended a program that offers warehouse workers up to $5,000 to quit after busy seasons. The program was designed to reduce the company's workforce after the holidays. Worldwide Exchange is back in a moment. All right, welcome back. Well, the overall semiconductor sector is not immune to the market fluctuations at all. By the way, there's some of the top 100 NASDAQ pre-market gainers. If you were asking, there they are. They are Marvell Technology, Microsoft, and NVIDIA. Back to semiconductors. They are not immune to the market volatility that we have seen so far this year. The iShares Semiconductor Index down 14% this year. Intel and Samsung are out with their results later on today. 
And investors are looking closely at issues around supply chain and manufacturing. Joining us now is Chris Queso, Managing Director at Raymond James. Chris, appreciate it. Very busy day for everybody right now. What are you wanting to hear uh, from Intel tonight? Well, from Intel, there's really kind of two parts of the story. One is, you know, what's happening in the near term uh, that, uh, you know, what, what's been going on with, with the server and the PC business and, and insights into demand there. But really for Intel, the bigger uh, concern over the longer term is the mass investment they need to make there behind unprocessed technology against TSMC that's enabling AMD. And really the focus is on the massive investment that they need to make and at what point can Intel catch up. Uh, the earnings today will give us some insight to it. They're going to have an analyst day in, uh, in the middle of February, and they expect a lot more information at that point. Yeah, what kind of stock is Intel? How do we look at it now? Is it a, it's not a gross stock, I guess. Is it a pure value play at this point? I mean, I guess more basically asked, Chris, is why do I own it? Well, we have an underperformed rating on, on Intel now. So uh, the answer that I give you yeah, is, so we is, don't. is neither. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it, you know, it, it, there's a, uh, you know, feeling some in the market that, that perhaps it's a value stock because it is, uh, you know, one of the most cheaply valued stocks in, in the universe. And, and for good reason. They're losing a lot of share to AMD. Again, the, the, the fact that they're behind on process is, is well known. The issue is that the new CEO, incoming CEO, Pat uh, Gelsinger, is operating as though it's a growth stock. He's spending a lot of money to catch up uh, and, and pursuing that growth. And so if you're investing in Intel now, you're making a bet on really kind of 2025 20, that into that this massive spending that they're going to uh, you know take place over the next couple of years is going to pay off for them. So you know you're looking at it as a growth stock, but the growth stock isn't going to the growth isn't going to come for a number of years. The stock price is back to where it was four years ago. And if we go way back, Chris, it's actually lower than it was 22 years ago. It was a $75 stock. It was a darling of the street back in the year 2000 before a lot of our viewers were even involved in the market. I know it'll never be that again. But do you think this then is a strategic mistake by Gelsinger? Well, I mean, he's, you know, the, the issues that are uh, uh, Intel's facing now are, are, are not Gelsinger. Uh, not Gelsinger's fault. He he was brought in to Correct. to 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 write the ship. So um, and listen, he it's it's a tremendously bold bet, and and you know you've had him on you've had him on before. He's told you that himself. Uh, and really, it's a question of you know do I do I believe in that? Um, it, it, our view is even if that's the case, and and I feel that that Pat is absolutely the best person that they could have hired for the CEO. He's a longtime Intel veteran. Uh, uh, you know, in incredibly smart person. But the, the problem is that they're they're behind. And we've never before seen uh, a semiconductor company fall behind in process and, and then catch up again. So it's the enormity of the task that's in front of them. That's the problem. And, and the amount of time that's going to take. And one of the things we kind of pointed out to folks, if, if you are investing in the stock for 2025, what happens during the next downturn? We're in an unprecedentedly, you know, very strong time for semiconductors right now. We will have a downturn. It's a cyclical industry. And the problem is Intel spending won't be able to stop because the spending is for technology to yeah. catch up, not for capacity. So during the next downturn, we're, we're you know, we, we could see, you know, close to $30 billion in CapEx in a declining market. And yeah. and, and that's one of the things that, that concerns me in, in making a bet on Intel now to have, to get paid for 2425. Yep. Chris very quick very quickly is there one stock we should own right now? 
Yeah, one of, one of our favorites in the group right now is Qualcomm, uh, and uh, uh, it's it's you know mainly about handsets and about uh, the recovery that that's going on uh, in, in that space and and you know the continuation of five G. But there's another part of Qualcomm as well, which is the growth outside of handsets, and they did a very good job of the analyst day uh, last November in pr- providing a story outside of handsets, and that's a stock that's also not not that very highly valued at the high teens valuation. Chris Queso, really appreciate your views this early morning. We thank you so much for coming on, Chris. Be well. Take care. Thank you. All right, on deck, the markets, wild ride, ready to roll on again after yesterday's big turnaround. Stock futures, they are soaring. NASDAQ up 2%. Morgan Stanley's Katarina Simonetti will lay out some of the sectors she's advising clients to be in right now, plus your morning RBI. A lot to do. We're back right after this. Let's talk markets and history once again in your morning RBI, because it feels kind of like these markets are making history right now with all these wild swings. And they kind of are. This is rare. What is happening? This big drop so quickly after we just hit record highs. And if it seems like it's rare, it's true. And our thanks to LPL Financial and Ryan Dietrich for this cool data. Coming into this year, there have only been five other times when the S&P 500 fell 10 percent or more faster than one month after hitting an all-time high. In other words, the five fastest times from a market peak to a market correction. Well, now we've got a sixth time. That is this month. It's taken just 14 trading days to go from our record highs in December to down more than 10%. That is fast, but it is not a record. Believe it or not, according to Ryan, it is just the fourth fastest hit in history. When the pandemic fear started to hit in 2020, It took the S&P just six days to fall 10%. Financial crisis did it in eight days. And it was 12 days for some reason back in 1955. Now, that's random but interesting, but maybe not as much as this. In all five of those previous times, the S&P 500 was higher six months later, every every time. So 100% of the time, when we went from peak to correction in a month, the market was actually up every time half a year later with an average gain of nearly 15%. Wow. Maybe it shook the weak hands out. Anyway, will it happen again here? Who knows? We've never had a Fed balance sheet this bloated, but at least history is on your side. Random, but interesting. All right, cool stat, but doesn't mean anything at all. Let's ask Katarina Simonetti, Senior VP and Wealth Advisor at Morgan Stanley Private Wealth Management. And here's the part of the interview where you say past results are no guarantee of future performance, but Katarina It is kind of interesting. It's very interesting, Brian. Thank you for having me on the show. And without doubt, this is a challenging uh, investing environment. But it is important to know that we view this correction for exactly what it is, a correction, not as the end of the bull market. Economy is still strong. We're expecting pretty robust fourth quarter earnings. But we have to change our strategy. This is where we go back to asset allocation. This is where the S&P 500-driven passive portfolios might not make as much sense as they did in the previous two years. This is where active security selection, attention to valuations, because we know they're going to be under pressure. We know they're going to be earnings revisions. We are expecting, you know, Fed announcement today, even though there might not be surprises today, but they're setting expectations for higher rates, for tapering. We have inflation for the first time to deal with. So we need to change our strategy. 
Yeah, inflation's out of control. I mean, are you advising your clients to buy things like tips, treasury inflation protected securities, which are boring, but right now kind of interesting, I guess, or other defensive inflation related type hedges? Brian, we are advising the clients to build a diversified portfolio of inflation hedges. And there are a number of things that can be used. Real estate, uh, high dividend paying stocks, real rates right now are more important than ever. We need to look at infrastructure. We need to look at defensive plays. We generally are looking at the stocks that have the staying power and the the power to maintain their earnings. Because again, while in the normal environment, we're looking at total return and that will always be a focus. Right now, real rates, inflation adjusted rates is the focus and inflation hedges and diversified portfolio of inflation hedges makes more sense than ever before. I'm sure you're getting a lot of nervous calls from clients or maybe just curious calls. What the heck is going on? Everybody knows the Federal Reserve is going to raise rates this year. You can dither whether it's three times or four times or five times, but you, the 25 basis points are kind of irrelevant. You know they're going to raise rates. It's the timing, I think, that's more interesting. Do you think that what we have seen this month and all the volatility in January, Katerina, was just the market doing what it does now? This is kind of a new phenomenon where it adjusts faster to anything than anybody can, can previously estimate. We crashed on the COVID news, and then the market rebounded. Like in April, on the COVID news, the market moves faster than ever now. Market is moving faster than ever, and we have to react to it faster than ever. That's why we have to have a plan before. You know, when we go into this market, the good thing is that we get so much information, there are hardly any surprises. So we can look at our asset allocation, and not just in terms of sectors, but geographically, because let's face it, we haven't seen the recovery on the global level yet. You know, so there are opportunities both here in the U.S. in the defensive sectors like healthcare, like financials, like infrastructure like consumer discretionary, when we employ this active management approach and are very careful in our security selection. But we can also look for attractive valuations and opportunities overseas because what we're seeing in Europe with large European companies just beginning, they're just following our lead. We have been so much farther ahead than them in recovery and they're catching up and eventually we will start looking at emerging markets too. But global diversification is the key and a good coherent plan in terms of inflation, in terms of rate hikes and how all of this translates into the asset allocation and portfolio design is more important than ever. This is gonna be the year when we have to pay attention. All right. We're looking overseas as well. Katerina Simonetti and Morgan Stanley, we appreciate your views. As always, Katerina, have a fantastic day. Thank you very much. All right. Well, it is a special day for me because before we wrap up the show here, I want to take a moment to wish a very special guy a very happy birthday. And that is my father. Today's his 80th birthday. And uh, I want to embarrass both him and me. That is us. 1978 Ontario Motor Speedway in a Formula Ford. I'm the small guy. Dad, you are my hero and you are my idol. And uh, happy birthday. I can't wait to see you and mom soon. Please ignore the knee-high tube socks my dad dressed me. Anyway, I'm kidding, Dad. I love you. Happy 80th birthday. Wow. See you soon. All right, that does it for us here. Squawk Box, the gang, picking it up next. Have a great day.
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.